At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day. Good morning. My name is David Patton, and I am a pastor here at Gospel Community Church, and it is my honor to bring before you the Word of God, the gospel of your salvation. Uh, This morning, I want to begin a little bit interactive. I want to ask, is there anyone who loves to travel in in the room? Do do you love to travel? A couple people, a bunch of people? Cool. Um, My wife and I love to travel. Uh, We love to pick up and and go. We love to see new things and, and experience them together. Uh, we've been to New York, to, to Napa. We've been to Tennessee and to Key West. Uh, we've been international, traveled to Mexico for our honeymoon, been to the Bahamas and to the Turks and Caicos on a cruise. Um, it's funny, though, when I talk about we love to travel, I mean, back when we had money before we had kids. Um, and so it's funny. I'll, I'll start telling the story like, uh, it, it wasn't long ago we went to Napa Valley and it was we, we rented a car and we drove around and be talking like it was just a couple years ago and Lindsay would say, babe, that was when you were 25. I'm like, okay, yeah, three or four years ago. Um, <clears throat> so we, we love to travel and so what, what we'll be talking about today is in, in essence being travelers, right? And so what I want to uh, take away from our world travels and, and our, our travels within the United States is three themes that I believe that apply today uh, that, that we've noticed when we've traveled. Uh, one is as we've traveled to other states and to other countries, Lindsay and I have never been to jail. Uh, We have always been well-received, and number three, we uh, stayed for a little while, but we always came home. Uh, So number one, when we would travel to other places, other countries or other states, we always obeyed the laws that were above us, the governing authorities that were above us. Thank goodness when we were in a foreign country, uh, no policia came up and handcuffed us and took us down to the police station in in Mexico. How how scary would that be? And we actually hear tales of that happening throughout the world uh, of people being uh, cuffed and taken to jail in foreign countries and the difficulties of that. Luckily, Lindsay and I have never experienced that, I believe, because we obeyed the laws in these foreign lands, right? Uh, The second thing that I noticed in our world travels is how well we are received, by most people, because it is funny when you go to ride the subway, right? 
you look like a redneck with two heads if you say hello to someone on the subway. Because first they've got to pull their little ear pods out of their head and, and acknowledge your presence by actually visibly looking at you. Um, and so, you know, that's weird. Or it's also weird when you go to California and you call a woman ma'am or dear. They act like you just told them to make America great again. Um, and so... Um, but it is disarming to people how nice we Southerners are, right? I, I will, in New York, o open the door for someone. Of course, there's thousands of people that proceed after them, but I continue to hold the, the door open at least till a man walks through, and I'll let it go and let him uh, do the same, which he doesn't. Um, or, uh, again, uh, we've been asked to, y'all keep talking, or they don't say y'all, they say, you guys keep talking because it's so cute the way you talk. Again, our, our demeanor is nice and polite. Again, like a, a Southern gentleman uh, should be. And also, when we leave the country or we leave this state, we don't stay for very long, right? Uh, when, when you go to uh, Mexico, for instance, um, you have to have your visa, right? And so when you go on your, your visa, um, it actually says that you can only stay for a certain amount of time. And so we have to come home. But I imagine you get the same feeling when you've been on vacation for a little while and that bed just isn't your bed. That shower just isn't your shower. It doesn't smell like home. You can't eat a home-cooked meal on that tiny little oven and, and, and microwave and mini-fridge you have in your room. And you just want to go home, don't you? You, you? you yearn for the comforts of home. And so we're going to see today there's a, a connection in this text. Peter in verse 211 called the Christians sojourners. He called them sojourners and exiles. Remember, sojourners are people who reside only temporarily in a foreign land. Uh, people not native to a land, right? They're just passing through. Uh, this world is not our own, right? This world is not our home. If we're lucky, we'll be here for 80 or 90 years, and some of us uh, for much less. It's a, a tent. It's a tent. And it's only a blip in the timeline of eternity. So today, as we again talk about being sojourners in a foreign land, uh, Peter introduces the theme of being subject to the authorities of that land, doesn't he? Um, he, he calls them to be subject, which again, we would also uh, use the synonym of submit to those authorities. And we may feel odd um, in this text for such a call, uh, but I believe we need to hear this today. I believe we need to hear it today as Christians in a time of political polarity. This message is for you. How many people in here are on Facebook? I'm going to put my hand down because I'm proudly not on Facebook. It doesn't make me better than you. It would give me more free time. Um, but if your world is consumed by pushing forward your political view on Facebook, you, you, need, to hear, you need to hear this today. Uh, if you can't calmly talk to your neighbor uh, because they have a different political ideology than you, you, you need to hear this today. Um, if your presidential philosophy includes the phrase, he's not my president, you need to hear this today. 
You need to hear this today. Prepare your heart for the Lord to open your mind and expand your heart and and widen your view on what you are doing here as passers through this world. You are a sojourner in this world and in this country, and God is always king of our heart. Let's start with verse 13. It's going to say, be subject. What a baffling statement. What a baffling statement. How many of you woke up this morning and said, I want someone to tell me what to do? (laughs) Not, Not as many people. Not as many people willingly look for someone to give them direction or to submit to. Remember, being subject is to come under the authority of another. Again, that synonym, submit, is to place my will and my desires below the will and the desires of another. And and just two verses before in verse 11, Peter has dropped some knowledge on these Christians, these hearers of his letter. Here's what he says. He says, and you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And now he seems to pull back the reins a little bit, doesn't it? He, he pumps the brakes. He's saying, if I just told you you were a chosen race, you would puff up your chest, pop your collar like you were the first kid picked in kickball. If I just told you that you were a royal priesthood, you would feel entitled to anything. And if I told you you were holy, you would say that you are set apart and don't have to adhere to the laws that, that, that govern you in this world. And so here he is, he's pumping the brakes and saying, you are this, but just hold on just a second. Just hold on just a second. Don't run away with these titles that the Lord has placed upon you because he has also placed over you something that it will get to, to, to be subject to. Now think about us in America too, right? We are tough little special snowflakes who can be anything we want to be and to do anything that our hearts desire, right? This is the land of rugged individualism. Uh, We make our own way. We follow our own rules. We forge our own destinies. It's because of hard work and blood, sweat, and tears on, come on, the Alaska, the last frontier, ots, ots. Just me, me and you, boo. We, watch, we love that. We love that. We love watching Alaska, The Last Frontier, right? Because it's about rugged individualism. It's like, it's about uh, if, if the cattle die, you have nothing to eat. If you don't shoot the moose, you have nothing to eat. If you don't produce from the land, it's, it's, it's about Americans being what Americans have always been. Um, and, and again, as an American, there's something that wells up in me and desires to be that. But we hate as Americans, as, as just people, as sinners, we hate being told what to do, don't we? Uh, we don't want to, someone to tell us how to run our lives or what road to follow in our lives. We are self-made, self-actualized, self-sovereigns, and nobody can tell us what to do. Nobody puts baby in the corner, right? And so I don't, David, I don't like being told what to do. In fact, being subject or submitting often ruffles my feathers. So let's see if if this applies to you as well. Have you ever been right? Yeah. 
Greg, have you ever been right? <laughs> I, I have too. And it really chaps my hide when the other person thinks they're right too. So, so what do I do? Well, when I think I'm right and my boss thinks he's right, there's only two ways. His way or the highway, right? What, what about when my spouse is right or she thinks that she is right? Uh, how many of you are struggling in a marriage right now where no one is willing to submit to the other, to, to, to bend their will towards the other? There's strife, isn't there? What, what about submitting to a parent? How many of you have a child right now bent on having their own way? Yep. Um, the, the, these, these types of relationships that we are all in, when we feel like we will not submit because we are right, again, we see that it produces this strife in our life, uh, and God is calling us out of that. So we've all felt this dislike or even gone down this uh, road. Uh, we hate being, uh, help, hate submitting to another. And you might even say, if I'm going to cave, it better be worth it. So, so let's see where Peter goes next. We, we're saying as, as sinful Americans, sinful humans, it better be worth it. He says, for the Lord's sake. Be, be subject for the Lord's sake. Be subject that it benefits the Lord. Be subject that it showcases and glorifies the Lord. Meaning, it's a service to the Lord that we submit. Let's look at uh, Colossians 3.23. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not to men. You see, in our submission, we serve the Lord. When we submit, it's not for our sake or for the person's sake in which we are submitting to or their office. But when we submit as to the Lord, we are serving the Lord and it's for His sake. When we view submission as service to the Lord, we turn from being passive objects in a world that devalues us and turn into active partners with God in His plan to bring unity to a people divided by race, gender, age, and economics. You see, so, so it makes a little bit more sense now. You see, God is saying, be subject. Be subject. And, and, and it's for the Lord's sake, essentially saying, I, I am working my will. I am getting my glory by you falling under the authority of those that I placed in authority over you, you. You are showcasing your love for me. You are showcasing my goodness, my power, and my control as you submit yours. He's saying you're chosen. You're royal. And you're holy. Your home is God, with God and is in His kingdom forever. And while you are here to serve me, your king, in this way, by placing your holy selves under the authority of those I've placed over you. You see, voluntary submission to others is service to the Lord by displaying two things. The genuineness of our faith and keeping reproach from His name. So, genuineness in faith in Christ, uh, genuine faith in Christ acknowledges that He is our ultimate ruler. 
He is our conquering Savior. He is our Prince of Peace. Therefore, when we quit trying to rule our own life and live it our way, we are putting on display to all around that our trust is not in ourself. It's not in our government. It's not in our bank account, but our trust is in the Lord. This leads us to a life where we can quit quarreling, where we can give freely and where we can trust the Lord in his ultimate plan by being subject, again, to the rulers he puts over us. Now, this brings up an interesting point. We can look back in history and see terrible rulers that have been put over God's people, right? Terrible rulers that have led to the demise of terrible governments, right? Does anyone in here fear the Romans right now? Fear the Romans. Does anyone even speak Latin in here? Speak Latin. No. It's making sense now. We're looking back over the corridor of time and seeing that God takes these terrible governments and uses them for his purposes, right? It was that Latin-speaking Roman government that crucified our Savior, is it not? And in that crucifixion, he then rose again. And because of that resurrection, we can have life today through the acts of a terrible and oppressive government. Not to mention it was through the roads that they built, through the peace that they brought in the religion, that the word of God was able to spread and to plant and to grow. And we're sitting in church today that can draw its roots all the way back from the efforts of Peter and Paul and Stephen and Christ. Praise be to the Lord that he works through good governments and poor ones to work his will in our lives, that we may hear his word and be saved. Number two, genuine faith in Christ keeps reproach from Christ's name. Look at verse 12. It says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Kirk talked about this last week. See your good deeds and glorify God. When we are honorable, our good deeds turn to nothing, the accusations of others. This means don't be a hypocrite. Don't act one way here. Go out into the world and act another. Don't speak in Christianese here and then speak of the world outside. We must be the same through and through as we walk honorably because the Lord has changed our life, changed our wills, changed our desires, changed our tongue that we speak to those uh, who are of this world in a way that doesn't bring reproach or taint the name of the Lord. Our conduct, our conduct, the way we act brings praise to the Lord, brings glory to the Lord is what he says here. The world is looking for your failures and weaknesses. And by all means, tell them. Tell the world that you are not perfect and point to the perfect Savior. But if our conduct is in subjection to the government and to the ultimate subjection of our king, then verse 12 says that we will glorify God. And that is our service to Him. So let's let Peter complete his sentence. Be subject for the Lord's sake, to 
every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This does not mean obey every governmental institution all the time from everywhere right here where you are. I have an example. I'm not a good driver. Yes, I got an amen from the middle row right beside, I think, where my wife was sitting. So I'm not a good driver, and I don't even know all of the laws, uh, the driving laws in Georgia, okay? But I'm not also, to, I know enough to know I'm not also to obey the laws, driving laws in Great Britain while I'm in Georgia, right? I can't drive on both sides of the road, though I often drive in the middle. I'm not, I shouldn't drive on both sides of the road, right? Because in America, we drive on the right, and in Great Britain, we drive on the wrong. Wrong, somebody said it, on the wrong. So we obey the vertical chain of authority that is over us. So if I'm in Mexico, I f follow the, the rules of the vertical chain of government that is over me at that time as I sojourn in that place. If I'm in Georgia, if I'm in New York, if I'm in California, I follow the rules of the governing authority that is over me uh, where I am. <clears throat> so what Peter is essentially saying is, what are the local, city, state, federal, if you want to apply it to us, um, laws, systems, structure that are over you currently? Follow them as a service to the Lord. Not only should we obey them, but we should also be an active, active in our service to the Lord. What does that mean? 1 Timothy 2, 1-4 then says, First of all, then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions be made for all people, for those in high positions, for this is uh, for kings and those in high position, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, and that is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. This uh, place, uh, this place, our faith is sorry. Um, this is where we place our faith in the Lord by praying. We're pray placing our faith in the Lord and not in the government. As I was at a as, as I was at a uh, gas station one time, the this man walked up to me and said, uh, uh, "The world's going to hell in a handbasket, isn't it?" I said, "Yes, sir." He he said, "Therefore, you should vote Republican." And in my mind, I'm thinking, "Okay," but it's still going to hell in a handbasket even if I vote Republican, yeah. right? And so, what we are doing by supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Praying for our leaders is not placing our hope in a political party, a political system, in a governmental authority. We are placing our hope as a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, yes. in our Father in heaven, who is ruler of all, right? What a way to be uh, uh, serving the Lord in our subjection is to go to our Father, our Lord, who it, all are subject to. 
So Peter says, uh, or uh, Paul says to Timothy, not only to pray, but he says this too, and I think this is super important. He says, um, look, for the, look at the life he advocates for. He says, peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified. Did your mom ever tell you to mind your own business? Paul was prescribing for us a way to subject ourselves under a government structure. He says, keep to your own business in a quiet and peaceful way right? Keep your conduct godly and dignified. See, again, we are serving God through our conduct under the authority of these human institutions because uh, he says it is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. And Peter says these governments give praise to those who do good. Now, obviously, we can't always be quiet, There's a time to speak up. Thank God that our government structure right now allows us to speak up without killing us or imprisoning us. Yes. Um, We must speak up for those who have no voice. We must push for unborn children's rights, women's rights, for the rights of those who are in child sex slavery in the black market. We must cry out for them. We must, as people of God, work to spread the kingdom of God through the advancement of God-given truth that every life, no matter free or slave, has God-given dignity, value, and worth endowed by our Creator. We must speak up to the atrocities of this world, to the people that have no voice in this world, to those who are hurting and suffering. We can speak up to them because we live in a free land that allows us to do so. So as Christians, we should do so. We have a voice. We should speak. And I believe that we can do these things in a way that glorifies God, draws people to Him, and does not taint the name of the Lord. We do it by faith that He is already at work here in America and beyond to work His will and overthrow the darkness in the world and reveal His light. So again, through, through prayer, through actively participating and speaking up as the law allows, and by loving and serving those around us, we are able to, with godly conduct, dignified, and without tainting the name of the Lord, speak out, speak up, uh, and speak for those who do not have a voice. He goes on to say in verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish flesh. It is God's will how governments rise and fall. That doesn't mean that God is a Republican. It doesn't mean that He's a Democrat. In fact, if truth be told, God is for His rule and for His kingdom. And the Republicans and the Democrats and the Communists and the Royals and the Greeks and the Romans are all subject under Him who sits on high. But there's more to this uh, in His will. By doing good, you turn from being passive objects in this world that devalues us into partners with God, active partners in His plan to bring unity to people divided by race and gender and economics. Your mission in obedience is not to be uh, a passive bystander. You are called to active, voluntary obedience. 
So I've got three things that won't come up on the screen, but sort of three ways that, that we can uh, participate in the will of God is participate where you can in, in, in your city here locally. Participate. Be a part of youth soccer, youth football. Be a part of the Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts. Be a part of uh, serving the promised place. Be a part of what's going on in your city. Be known in your city and know the needs of your city. Therefore, you can speak into those needs. You can render need. You can help in this city to, again, push forth the light of the kingdom of God here locally. And as it spreads, it continues through Georgia and beyond. You are active participants in the service of God, even under the rule of our government. Two, uh, join with GCC as we join with a community to serve its needs. Again, I, I mentioned uh, the promise place. Um, we as a church love serving our city. We're about serving our city, so much so uh, that we are beginning to start initiatives that will help us do that. Help us to join up in small groups, in community groups, and church-wide to address the needs of the city and to attack them and to render aid and to help where we can help. We want to, again, be active participants where we live. This is not us for and no more close the door. We are going out into a world that is hurting and in need of the hope that we have. It's in need of the redemption that we've been redeemed. It's in need of the reconciliation where we've been reconciled with God. We've been called to go out and be reconcilers. May, may we do that through Gospel Community Church. Uh, last, uh, we want to pray for our leaders. Pray for them in the will of the God for our community, state, country, and the world. For this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved. It's through our prayers that we are praying for the will of God that the world would be saved, that those who he's chosen and elected would hear those words and come to him as their savior. Moving on. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now in Christ we are free. What are we free from? Did Christ come to conquer the Romans? Well... The, the Jews were very disappointed in the fact that he hung on a tree, not as a conquering savior in their lifetime, right? They were very disappointed in the, that. Oftentimes, uh, the, the high ground is the advantage. They didn't see it as that, but as Jesus hung on the tree, he did have the high ground, right? Because as he died, he put to death sin and guilt and shame. He, your, your sins hung on the tree with him, didn't they? so that he would be our conquering king. He would be the person that drew us out of slavery in the kingdom of God. Because of the work of Jesus did on the cross, we are free from Satan's sin and death. We are no longer accused. We are no longer condemned. We are no longer sentenced to eternity, separated with God in hell. Christ brought that freedom for us with his blood on the cross. Our freedom was purchased by Jesus, uh, by Jesus' subjection to those rulers, right? Jesus subjected himself to the authorities over him. Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father uh, and subjected himself to the trial and punishment that the Romans uh, and the religious leaders put upon him. And he overcame his subjection. 
and it has become their demise. His submission has become your freedom. Therefore, we can live as people who are free. As, as sojourners in this world, we voluntarily submit to the authorities in this world. Listen to this. To display our freedom. To display our freedom. And what Peter says next in, in the middle right there um, is to not use that freedom as rebellion. He, he, he says... Uh, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Um, you see, the, our freedom is not our diplomatic immunity. I grew up with a kid in school, and he, we were in elementary school, so I don't think he knew what he was talking about, but he, he kept saying his, his uncle was a diplomat from England, and so therefore he had diplomatic immunity and didn't have to follow our traffic laws and all that kind of stuff. Um, again, we as Christians don't get to claim diplomatic immunity in saying, well, I don't have to follow the laws of the land, the government that has been placed over me. I don't have to follow that because I follow Christ. It's actually the opposite. Because we are free in Christ, we display that freedom by listening to him and what he tells us to do in being subject to those authorities that he's placed over, for, over us. The problem is we often don't display um, uh, because of our biblical objections. Um, we, um, right, so we don't dis display it correctly, right? So, so what we end up doing is we, we say phrases like this, I do what I want. I do what I want. I show my freedom by I do what I want. Uh, but that is rebellion, Parents, when your child disregards your rules and carries out their own desires, it's an act of rebellion because of their sin nature. You didn't teach them to hit, to steal, to lie, or to throw a temper tantrum. Our sin nature tells us that we are self-appointed, self-sovereigns, ruling and reigning in our alternate reality where we are king. But the truth is, uh, we who are in sin, who are of this world, who are not in Christ, are not free but slaves. You who are a slave to sin is controlled by the desires of your mind and flesh. Uh, if you tell yourself about your sin, I'll quit tomorrow. You're a slave. If you fool your, fuel your addiction just one more time, you are a slave. If you tell yourself, this doesn't hurt anyone else, you, you're a slave. And so what he says is to live as free, but so many of us live as slaves since slavery to our own self-appointed freedom that we that, that we that we say we have and slaves are not free and here's the fallacy Christianity is bondage to a set of rules and freedom is anything outside those rules that's the lie Christianity is bondage freedom is outside of those rules here's the truth who the son sets free through his obedience is free indeed but not in the way you would expect you see, he goes on to say, living as servants of God. Living as servants of God. And he actually uses the Greek word doulos, which actually means slaves. Living as slaves to God. So we live as free by living as slaves. But free people aren't slaves, right? Uh, li li listen to what Romans 6 says. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either sin which leads to death or obedience which leads to righteousness? 
But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have been become slaves to righteousness. See, you are either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, a servant of God. You can become, uh, you can become free from yourself, free from your sin today. You can become free from yourself and free from your sin today by acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. By acknowledging your sin where you have uh, bucked against that rule, where you have appointed yourself as king over your life, where you have gone against his rule and his law, you can repent of that today and accept Christ as your savior, as your king, as your sovereign. And in doing so, be set free. For who the Son sets free is free indeed. I need to speed up just a little bit. We're going to skip verse 17. If you're following in your Bibles, we're going to skip verse 17 and add it on at the end because I want to continue in this theme of servants. Servants. 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Some translations use the term slaves here, um, and we here see here in the ESV they use the term uh, servant. Uh, oikiste uh, means household servant, but let's be real. Both chattel slavery, meaning pro- slaves as property, and indentured servitude was used in antiquity. So I don't want to say, yes, this term is talking about bond servants and just skip the fact that people were property back in the Old Testament, back in antiquity, and heck, even in parts of the world today. I don't want to skip over that and pretend like that is not real. Uh, These slaves were oftentimes either the spoil of war or uh, it was a way to pay back a debt through through service. But here Peter is continuing the theme of submissive obedience for the Lord's sake. And, And though not making a judgment call as right or wrong, he's speaking to the servants as free men. So he's saying, he's already said, servants, right? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Servants, you are free, live as free men. But what, but what he's telling them here is be subject to the authority that's over you because it is of service to the Lord. Now that does not make sense in our minds. It doesn't make sense in our minds how we can tell a servant or a slave to stay enslaved. Uh, a, 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 a person who is being subjected, again, to a good master or a bad, to, to stay in that bondage. But again, I think we, when we zoom back the lens, um, we can see more clearly that slavery is a metaphor for the suffering that we endure in our life. A pause. I am not saying that all suffer, or slavery is a metaphor. I want to clearly acknowledge, like I just did, that this really happened. The the Jewish people were really enslaved for over 400 years in in the bonds of the Egyptians. Uh, Aztecs and Incas in South America held slaves to to build some of their massive pyramids down in South America. And 12 million African Americans were shipped across the Atlantic during the slave trade that lasted from the 16th to the 19th century. 
This is, this is real. Slavery is real. And again, what he's talking about, again, is that suffering. And he's going to explain a little bit more here. He says, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God that one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of the Lord. For to this you have been called. To this of you have been called. It's not what you endure, but why you endure suffering and how you endure it that you have been called. Peter's just said something really big. He, he, he just said, did you hear? He capped it. He said, this you, for to this you have been called. You have been called to endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. You who are sitting in this room, the servants, the bond servants that he was talking to, slaves that he was talking to, the people who lived under the emperor Nero who were being killed and, and pitched and tarred to light his parties, that's who he's talking to. We are free in Christ, yet we still suffer under the authorities of this world. Why? You've been called to endure in your suffering caused by obedience. And that's so hard to hear. So hard to hear. We are called to suffer because of the direct result of obedience to God. Listen to this. See if this uh, rings true with you. Uh, you are called to suffer the consequences of sharing your testimony. Sometimes with coworkers. Sometimes with, you're belittled by sharing the gospel with your family. Sometimes in other areas of the world, you're killed, right? In, in other areas of the world, this church would not have its lights on and we would be hidden somewhere safe because of the fear of being killed. We, we are called to endure suffering because of our obedience. Because of our obedience. Partly as a reminder not to be comfortable in this world. If it's all about cars, clothes, riches, you got everything you need, it's harder to feel the draw towards home. This is way too comfortable. I like staying here. I want more of this stuff. The more of this stuff, the more comfortable I am, the less I want to go uh, home. Remember, you are sojourners. You should be longing for home. Heaven is where we long. This world is filled with slavery. It's filled with pain. It's filled with death and dying. But moreover, you have been called to it so that you might follow after the example of Christ. See what I said? You've been called to, 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 to obedience that leads to suffering. After the example of Christ, here he says, Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Do you want to be a Christian this morning? Do you want to follow Christ as your example? You must ask yourself this question daily. Do I want to follow after the example of Christ? Philippians says that he was obedient to the point of death. Are you willing to follow Christ unto death? Can you be reviled without reviling? That's a tough one. That's a real tough one. Can, can you suffer without threatening? 
Can you submit and entrust yourself into the will and the judgment of God even when it hurts? Even like Job when all of it is taken away. Can you say, Jesus, you're enough. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus, you're um, enough. And I know what you're thinking. David, you just don't understand. I didn't deserve the suffering I endured. Or I did nothing wrong. You won't believe what she said to me or the way I was abused or the slavery with which I was held in sin. And Jesus, if, if we are following his examples, takes away all of our excuses for retribution and for bitterness. And I love what it says about him uh, next. It says, verse 24, we're getting close. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Christ is not just our example. He is our example, but he's not just our example. He is our sacrificial lamb who voluntarily followed the will of God in perfect obedience by subjecting himself not only to the false condemnation of the Roman government and the religious authorities, but for the joy set before him, he took your punishment and your suffering, your eternity of suffering and separation from God in hell. He took it upon himself. It says, it says, he himself bore in his body. This is not, this is not a philosophical statement. He himself bore in his body. It's not a call to idealism. He himself bore in his body is not an enlightened transcendentalist concept that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus, Jesus, He Himself, He the God-man, He died. He died so that you would follow Him as a Christian, as one who is like Christ in our death to sin, in our death to shame, in our death to guilt. We might die to those and no longer be slaves to sin. No longer be slaves to sin, but be servants of God. It says, by his wounds we were healed. All suffering in this world, whether slave or free, whether slave to sin or slave to sickness, is healed by his hands. By his hands as we run to him. Now, it might not be in this world. It might not be in this world. When he says, slaves, obey your masters. That might have been unto death. That might have been a, a, a situation under that authority that never changed. Yet we are called to endure for that long. After the example of Christ who endured for us. Again, we endure for, it may be 40 years. It's hard to imagine enduring suffering for 40 years. And it's also hard to imagine 40 years in the, as a blip in eternity. Our, our obedience here, our obedience here after following Christ paves the way. It paves the way. As He purchased our, as he purchased our eternity, as He purchased our communion with God the Father, as He paid the debt for our sins in our place, he, he, he allows us 
to, to endure suffering, to follow after him, to live as subject under the rule of this world. As service. It, so as service, it's not to purchase our ticket. It's not to purchase our ticket into heaven. It's because it reflects him who did. Reflects him who did. We live as free men, subjected under this world, but ultimately free in Christ, a royal nation, a holy priesthood. So in closing, um, let me go back to verse 17. Verse 17 says this, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Again, when we view submission as service to Christ, we turn from being passive objects in this world that devalues us into active partners with God in His plan to bring about unity to a people divided by race, gender, age, and economics. So don't be passive, but be active. How? Honor everyone. Honor everyone. Treat others with the dignity that God has given each of us, regardless of your skin color matching. Show dignity regardless of the socioeconomic uh, status that you're in. Show dignity because our dignity doesn't come from our skin color. Our dignity doesn't come from our bank account. It comes from our Creator in whom is image we were created. Therefore, dignity, value, and worth is due all people. All people. And we show our love for God as we pour it out over all people. Love the brotherhood. God gave His church, His bride, for the building up of His people. God loves His people and He died for His church. Therefore, we should be a part of His body, His church, His bride. He gave us the church that we might grow in Him, grow deeper in Him. He gave us the church that we would be iron sharpening iron, that we would grow together, that we would spiritually mature together, and that we would go out with a unified message that Christ saves. There is hope in Jesus. He saved me. He reconciled me. And I know if He reconciled a wretch like me, He can do it for you. Fear God. We fear God By knowing Him. By knowing Him, we love Him. By loving Him, we fear in reverence the God, the Creator of the universe, the King of kings, in which Philippians also says that one day God the Father is going to place all governments under the feet of Jesus. Under the feet of Jesus. The the Republicans, the Democrats, the the Socialists, the Communists, all, all regimes, all Governments are going to be placed under the feet of Jesus to the glory of the Father. Praise the Father. We, we read about Him in His Bible. Read Him daily. Learn Him. Know Him. Love Him. And fear the awesome power of the Lord as He places all governments under His feet. Last, honor the emperor. Our service to Christ includes being a participative citizen in the government that is over us. That doesn't mean that we have to endorse the president. That doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything he says and does. But again, as I said earlier, when we place ourselves in subject to the rule and the authorities above us, what we are doing as a Christian people is entrusting our faith to the Lord that he's working his will through the governments that he has placed above us, and two, that we are keeping disdain, that we are keeping uh, uh, um, 
hatred, that we are keeping, keeping uh, our conduct clean so that there, there is no, no, I forgot my word, sorry. There, there's nothing that people can say about us, you hypocrites. No, I'm a sinner, yes. I'm saved by grace, yes. And the Lord is so good. Thank you so much this morning. I pray that the words of this text would come alive again in such a political, motivated world. May our conduct show that the Lord is Lord above all things and that we trust in Him and we follow Him, keeping our conduct clean with dignity and with love and fear of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, Work your will in this country. This is a good country, Lord. I love this country. But I also know that there will be one day, there will be one day possibly when regime leads to regime, which leads to a regime where people don't speak English anymore, where we are forgotten like the Romans are, that we are relegated to the history books. Lord, Lord Jesus, may our faith and trust not be in American pride and American spirit. May it not be in the rugged individualism that, that has um, grown this country, but may it be in you, our King and our Lord. May we submit and be subject ultimately to you, and may we display that as we live in this world peaceably, drawing around us men and women through your word, Build up your church. Create in us a longing for our home. May we not be comfortable here. May we always desire to be with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.